What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Second edition of New York, New York. Sam Darnold is now a former Jet. The Mets have a bullpen meltdown and squander a DeGrom gem. And we got a ton of listener voicemails showing fantasy and Masters Beaks with the great Harry Gagnon. And yeah, I'm still drowning my sorrows away from that Gonzaga loss. New York, New York. Up next. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in to the second edition of New York, New York. I'm your host, JJ Janjistremski, right here, of course, on the Ringer Podcast Network. And it's amazing how the technology of all of this stuff allows us to basically take plans, throw them out the window, and get ready for what we need to do on any given night. Because when I signed off with the fellas putting up Monday's pod, I did not think we'd be taping one here late Monday, early Tuesday. But guess what? A lot of stuff happened. And when a lot of stuff happens, we got to be able to adapt. We got to be able to adjust on the fly. And it was a monster day in New York sports. Just a monster day in sports, period. So it's like one of those days where it's like, wow, I could flip a coin and go like 10 different ways to where I'm going to start the show. But anytime a first-round quarterback and a top-five pick and a player who was supposed to be a savior for an organization gets traded, kind of got to start there. And yes, the Sam Darnold regime, the Sam Darnold era is now over for the New York Jets. Sam Darnold is going to link up with his old teammate, Robbie Anderson. He's going to link up with a head coach who's a heck of a lot better than Adam Gaze. And for what it's worth, he should have gotten the gig when Adam Gaze got the gig and Matt Rule and now Sam Darnold 
is going to be a Carolina Panther. And I think all in all, from a Jets standpoint, the Jets, to me, did as well as they possibly could in this deal. Darnold, at this point in time, folks, is damaged goods. So you get a fourth-round pick, you get a sixth-round pick, but more importantly, next year, you get yourself a second-round pick for a franchise that is just absolutely loaded right and left and every which way in draft capital. They're loaded in draft capital, and that's exactly the way you want to build it up with a new coach in Robert Sala and a new quarterback, I think more than likely Zach Wilson out of BYU. I think we are headed in that direction, and I'm not going out on much of a limb by saying this, folks. I mean, I think we all knew the Jets when the Dolphins and the Niners made that trade, what was it, a week, week and a half ago? Niners move up to three. The Jets don't get involved in those proceedings. What does that tell you? It tells you that they have fallen in love with the quarterback. I love the fact that Robert Sala and Zach Wilson, rookie contract, are going to come to the New York Jets. I think from that standpoint, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now we're going to see if Zach Wilson could play. Now he's going to be set up in a way that Sam Darnold was never set up. And, you know, when you think about the career arc of Darnold, I think for a whole lot of Jet fans, they are going to be wondering what could have been. What could have been? Now, he didn't play great here. He made too many mistakes. I think his forever legacy will be the Monday night debacle against the New England Patriots. Remember the game where those ESPN Monday night mics caught him saying that he was seeing ghosts? I mean, that was basically the telltale sign of Sam Darnold's never going to be able to overcome this. Fair or unfair, it's just the way it works in New York City. He went through a bunch of head coaches. He went through a bunch of different offensive coordinators. They had lousy skill position players around them. Look, Sam Darnold, third pick, savior. You want to be that guy, you got to have the pieces in place. Unless you're that special. Unless you're that great. He's not. Could he have a career arc similar to Ryan Tannehill? I could easily see it. I think Darnold has ability. but. It was never going to happen here. In your heart of hearts, if you're a Jet fan, did you see happily ever after Sam Darnold, Robert Sala for years to come? I didn't. And because of the way the salary cap works in the NFL, the Jets had to move on and take a quarterback at two. This is the right move for the organization. We'll see if Sam Darnold has better success in Carolina. But now a new era of Jeff football will proceed with a new coach and a new quarterback. And the way I see it, that's the way it should be done. So busy night as far as the Jets making moves. And now you can start plotting your draft night plans if you're a Jeff fan. Maybe thinking about getting that new jersey. Maybe thinking about, I don't know, what guy you want. Maybe some of you are going to try to talk yourself into Justin Fields. Or maybe you're going to talk yourself into Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Even though, let's be honest, it's going to be Zach Wilson at two. But I know a lot of Mets fans were angry at me yesterday because we had all the college basketball. We had all the Yankee stuff going on. And we didn't have a Met game to react to because COVID got in the way. Well, we got our first Met game 
And it lived up to the billing, but not the way you wanted it to live up to the billing. What a disaster for the Mets with DeGrom on the mound in Philadelphia. DeGrom is brilliant. He throws six shutout innings at 77 pitches. Louis Rojas basically says, I'm going to yank him out of the game. And two years ago, Mets fans know the narrative. The bullpen was a nightmare. The bullpen cost the Mets a chance to go to the postseason. You know what else cost the Mets a chance to go to the postseason? Squandering starts from the best pitcher in baseball. And I say it all the time. Listen, I love Garrett Cole. I love Mad Max Scherzer. Uh, you give me the top guy, uh, you know, Giolito, Strasburg, whoever. DeGrom is the best in the business. Look at his numbers. Look at the performance. And listen to this stat for a minute. I saw this stat earlier today, right after the game. And if this doesn't make you sick as a Mets fan, I don't know what will. Jacob DeGrom, since 2018, has a 2.07 ERA. 2.07. You know what that's going to get you to? Cooperstown. What do you think the Met record is since 2018 in DeGrom starts with that ERA? A little over 500. Maybe worst case scenario, it's 500. No, no. The Mets are 36 and 41 in Jacob DeGrom starts. That is an absolute disgrace. And if I'm DeGrom, I am livid. I am irate. I am kicking Gatorade coolers. I'm throwing a tantrum. I don't care if it's the first game of the year. Because I'm saying, what in God's name do I need to do to get some damn run support? And the Mets had countless chances to blow this game open. Countless, countless, countless chances to blow it open. And for the manager, Dominic Smith was one of your rock star players last year. He's got to be on a bench to start the year. Brandon Nimmo's got to be in. Kevin Pillar's got to be in again with the lefty-righty bullshit. Here we go. Second day in a row, I can reference the lefty-righty bullshit because that's exactly what it is. Play your best players, for goodness sakes. Play your best guys. You even had a chance to get Smith in the game late in the game. But they go to the bullpen. The revamped Met bullpen. Trevor May, stinks. First game in. Aaron Loop, can't get the job done. You even got a little bit of a tease there in the ninth inning when I thought Alonzo might have hit a go-ahead home run. A little warning track power. This is one game. I'm going to get a little nuts just because of the way it went down. The more telling theme is, can you score some runs for Jake? I'm not even a Met fan. I feel sorry for the guy. I do. Pains me. That record is not as good as it should be. And if the Mets are going to be an elite team, you got the best pitcher in baseball. When he's on the mound, go and win the damn games. Not exactly rocket science. Jam-packed show. We will have listener voicemails, which were on fire. They will be on fire, I bet, yet again. We'll have reaction to what was a dud of a national championship game, and I couldn't have been more wrong about Gonzaga and Baylor. We'll have, against the odds, Harry Gagnon with a little picks. And we'll have the great Sean Fennessy 
Ringer extraordinaire, and a tortured soul. I figured it was the perfect night, by the way, to have the tortured soul, Met and Jet fan, join the show. So a brutal night for the Mets. The savior and Sam Donald is traded. We're rolling, baby. It's New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Jedi are being murdered. On June 4th, Star Wars returns only on Disney+. Plus. I didn't do it. Believe me. She was my student. Let me be the one to bring her in. Now she is a student of the dark side. An acolyte. Star Wars The Acolyte. Two episode premiere June 4th, only on Disney+. Welcome back, folks. I thought it would be the perfect night and the perfect day <laughs> to bring in the ringers tortured soul med fan jet fan extraordinaire the great sean fantasy fantasy i am so fired up to have you on bro but we could not have drawn up a better start for you to come aboard new york new york jj congratulations on the show i'm a huge fan i'm so glad you're doing this with us and I'm I just I really hate you for having me on tonight. I really I feel I like mean, it listen, was feel like you it was can cosmic. thank Simmons for that one because when he kind of introduced me to this project and to this platform, he mentioned the guys and the gals who have ties to New York. And he said, You gotta meet this guy Fantasy. He's one of my good friends. I love him, but he is one of those Met Jeff fans that hates just about everything. And Sean, think about it. Your Tuesday night, my friend. Or Monday night, whatever the hell it is. I lose track of the days. <laughs> was completely ruined by the fact that, again, even with new ownership, even with your shortstop getting $340 plus million, it doesn't matter because the Mets, right, are going to blow games that Jacob DeGrom starts and flat out dominates. True to form. I don't even know what to say. I, I feel like I've seen this game. Gary uh, Cohen on SNY just said this is the 31st time that the Mets bullpen has blown a potential win for Jacob DeGrom. That's not considering the no decisions. That's not considering not getting the run support. That's just the bullpen. So Steve Cohen is here. We love Uncle Steve. We're delighted about Francis Lindor. I'm very optimistic to a point, but the bullpen was the weakness of this team heading into this season, and and they looked like crap, and they lost to the, the, the much-hated Phillies. So I'm in a lot of pain right now. Well, I'm curious to go inside the mind of a Met fan because I feel like for most of them, fantasy, and I'm sure you might have been thinking this, so that's why I'm asking you this question. Did you see this loss coming the minute DeGrom comes out of the game after only throwing 77 pitches? Because I kind of put it in the memory bank saying, oh, this could come back to bite him in the ass. I'll tell you how corroded my soul is, JJ. I felt the loss coming when I saw Kevin Pillar hitting leadoff on the lineup card before the game even started. I was like, what in God's name are they doing here? Dom Smith needs 500 at-bats this year. I have no idea why they're doing this. Luis Rojas is trying to outthink the strategy here by having lefty-righty, and already it's the first game of the season, and we're thinking way too hard. We have Jacob deGrom. Let's put our best hitters in the lineup. Let's try to get the man five runs for once in his career, one time. And of course, as usual, they only get him two runs. He's out after six. I, I think you could make the case that being cautious in the first game of the season was wise and not pushing it with DeGrom, especially since they didn't play over the weekend because of the COVID outbreak with the Nationals, was it was a smart decision. But in general, the game was completely mismanaged by everyone who was not Jacob DeGrom. So I'm in a familiar, frustrated state of mind right now. The only thing, Fantasy, 
Normally, the Mets on opening day are brilliant. That's so true. maybe uh, maybe this is me trying to be uh, shrink for you. You know, I'm trying to be Doctor Melfi. I'm trying to talk you off the ledge a little bit. Maybe just maybe getting this like hideous opening day loss out of your system is going to allow you to have much happier days as the spring and the summer rolls along. You know what I'm really anticipating? I'm looking forward to seeing how Steve Cohen responds to this sort of thing. Earlier today, I was having a conversation with some friends and we were talking about the Mets. We were talking about Cohen's identity as the owner. And Cohen, it seems like, wants to be happy George Steinbrenner. He wants to be mischievous, fun-loving George Steinbrenner. He's going to outspend everybody. His pockets are deep. But he's not the grumpy, domineering figure that we imagine Steinbrenner to be. Cohen, having seen the Mets Mets once more, even though he's under their, they're under his stewardship finally, it'll be really fascinating to see if he reacts at all, if he maintains that mischievous attitude, if we hear about him sending notes down to the clubhouse about the way that Rojas is using Loop or Trevor May, or if we ever see Kevin Pillar in the leadoff spot again, because you know, you've been on the radio for years in New York, you know that fans are going to have a lot to say. Jerks like me have a lot of opinions about everything that went wrong tonight, and it's all fun and games on Twitter until you start losing games. And then when you start losing, Speaking it's Speaking of Twitter, though, I'm glad that you brought that up. Throughout the winter, were you one of these guys loving the fact that your new owner with the Daddy Warbucks money is tweeting like crazy? Or did it bother you when he's going after Dave Portnoy and, you know, he's, you know, telling you, you know, we're maybe in on this guy, we're maybe in on that guy. Like, I, I don't know if I'd feel this way, fantasy. I'd be like, please, just get me players and then you could tweet all you like. You know, like, you know I feel like it would aggravate me. He did get the players, though. I he think got if, you he, Lindor. That's if fair. he did, if he did not get Lindor and did not extend Lindor, I think I might have had a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth about it. But I mean, that is by far the biggest contract the Mets have ever given out. Uh, it's almost three times as big as the David Wright contract from a few years ago. And so he has been good to his word insofar as what he said he was going to do when he bought the team. Being on Twitter, I don't know. I mean, Twitter is an extraordinary waste of time and a very dangerous place every day for anybody. You don't have to be a billionaire for it to be a bad place. So if he feels like he wants to take that risk every day, he can. I do think it'll be interesting to see, though, if he continues to seem as kind of lighthearted and carefree and tweeting about the chicken parm at the Italian restaurant if they get off to like an 0-5 or 0-6 start. It might not be so sweet. Um, I know you're crushed right now. In general, though, about this team... Uh, are you thinking this is a 90-win team? Are you thinking this team is the team to beat in the division? I don't think they are, quite frankly. I think they're a playoff team. Uh, I think they're going to win in the low 90s. I think Atlanta, forget about what they did this weekend. They're still the class of the NL East. They got the young studs, Acuna, Albies, Freeman. They bring back Osuna. And the other thing with the Mets is, fantasy, they got to show me they can beat the Braves. That's something they haven't done at all the last three years. So because of that, I can't really like put them in that like driver's seat position within the division. You're by nature a negative guy. Do you have negative thoughts about the year? Take tonight out of it. In general, are you positively feeling the good vibes or are you kind of feeling those negative sickening vibes? I tend to be more optimistic when it comes to a per the perception of the season. Okay. Game to game, I'm very pessimistic. I'm very go. much clutching my knees and just, just waiting for the bad thing to happen. I, I think they are exactly what you said. I think they're a 90-win team, which means maybe they're the second-best team in the division. Um, I think if the Phillies' bullpen is as good as it has been through the first four games, it's going to be a very competitive di division this year. 
I think that they're missing a few pieces. And I, I, I watched J.D. Davis tonight, and I'm like, I'm not sure that J.D. Davis is the third baseman. No, he's a disaster at third base. I'll save you the trouble right there, Fantasy. Yeah. He's a, now, he can hit. He's got a decent bat. Can he's he, though? Some, can he, though? See, I think he can a little bit. 2019, I mean, they played him a ton. He produced. But then last year, he was kind of very up and down. And look, if he's going to be up and down with the bat, I mean, he can't be in the lineup because his defense can't. is abominable. It'll be very interesting to see if they decide to stick with him through this season or if they try to improve that spot. Because they obviously can look to improve the bullpen. They can look to improve third base. But they're kind of locked in now in a handful of spots. They're locked in at short. They're locked in at first. They're locked in at second. They're locked in and right. They're locked in and left. So there are not a ton of moves that they can make. And I think also once Carrasco and Syndergaard come back later this year, their their rotation is really is as formidable as anybody in, in baseball, in my opinion. Let's get to the other torture team that you root for that also made news today that prompted the earlier podcast from yours truly hey listen we got to be adaptable fantasy I love that's it. what they want now at the ringer your quarterback and your savior from a couple of years ago gets traded to the carolina panthers i'm telling the guys i'm like let's go we we got to fire up the engines we got to do a show when the jets drafted donald i didn't know you at the time Yep. Were you gushing? Were you drooling? Did you feel like you had your savior or were you saying, oh, this is going to be another Mark Sanchez? I was cautiously optimistic again. Now, I did have some of that USC burn off of Sanchez, and I'm a little bit dubious of USC quarterbacks in general, if I'm being totally honest, but loved his tools, loved his attitude. And he really see, he's the thing about Sam is he seems like a really good guy. And he seems like a guy you want to play with. And you hear that all over the league now. Even now, people are like, Sam is a decent kind of kid. And he was treated like garbage by this organization. I mean, they really could not have done less to support a number three overall quarterback selection. I don't really understand why they did it. And I did really want good things for him. I will never forget the first series that he ever had as a a pro. Against the Lions, right? Against the Lions. London Night Football. He threw a pick six. I believe is I believe his first throw, his first professional right throw, that. and yeah. it was it again. It was it was cosmic. It was brutal. It was so Jets, so profoundly Jets. And from that moment on, it kind of just felt like he was snake bit. Um, I think he's a really talented quarterback. I I I don't know what he's going to be in the NFL though, because even though he was put in a terrible position with a bad coach, with a bad scheme, with not enough support on the offensive line, not enough position skill players. He still, I mean, made extraordinarily bad decisions all the time. I mean, you watch AFC, uh, or excuse me, you watch AFC East football all the time. You know, being a Finns fan, he, he he just made a lot of bad throws on a regular basis. And there's nothing you can say other than a lot of those throws were on him. So I feel very conflicted about the Sam situation right now. Listen, he was completely sabotaged by the organization. No other way around it. You had Todd Bowles and that awful coaching staff. Then my guy Gase comes in and he's a hundred times worse So listen, I don't know what quarterback outside of maybe like Mahomes or Wilson or whoever is going to succeed in that mess. But fantasy, I got to a point with Darnold, and I was talking about this yesterday, where you kind of reach a point of no return. Like for me with the Jets, even though they have a new coach, even though their GM seems to be doing it the right way, it's New York City. There are going to be a lot of people watching the New York Jets First series, let's say they bring Sam Donald back. They don't take a quarterback. He goes three and out on the opening series that throws one of those terrible interceptions. Boo this guy. Get this effing guy out of here. The whole deal. That's what you're going to hear. And I think for him, he is only going to have success escaping this sort of craziness. You know, like put him in 
Carolina or put him in Denver or put him in Pittsburgh and give him a brand new coaching staff, brand new scheme, new start, fresh faces. That's how Sam Darnold can make it in the NFL. Is it going to bother you now if Sam Darnold goes to Carolina? And let's say, I'm not going to say is Mahomes, uh, Wilson good. Let's say he's Ryan Tannehill good. Will that irk you? Well, that would also be fitting because... It's the, big, the Adam the, Gaze comparison, my friend. Absolutely. The, the biggest mistake that the Jets have made in the last three years was telling Matt Rule that he could not hire the assistants that he wanted to hire when he was going to be potentially the head coach of the team a few years back. And instead, they brought in Adam Gase. And when Rule went back to Baylor, it was obvious that he was considered a high-profile coaching prospect in the NFL. The Carolina job opens up. He gets hired for that gig right away. I thought he had a very impressive first season. And the idea of Rule now being able to coach Sam, which seemed like something he was excited about, about potentially coming to New York, it would be fitting if they had success. And I wouldn't hold it against Sam and I wouldn't be mad at him. Like I said, he seems like a nice kid. He just he seems like a hardworking, thoughtful dude who wants to be successful. Now, if Zach Wilson is terrible, that might be an issue. I might have a hard time seeing Sam go to the playoffs while Zach Wilson busts. If Zach Wilson is a pro bowl, a pro bowler, I'll probably never think about Sam again. So it's really a question of whatever we're getting next. Think about your emotions throughout the football season. You had that Raider debacle where Greg Williams basically threw the game. I mean, there's no other way around it. He threw the game on that final sequence when Carr is hitting rugs and they're sending the zero blitz. Cover I zero. heard you on Simmons pod the next day. You're like thinking, all right, maybe, just maybe, the stars are aligning for the New York Jets to go and get the generational quarterback and then they go and beat the Rams. A playoff team, they're a 17-and-a-half-point underdog, and they win the damn game outright. Fantasy. I mean, is that Jets or is that Jets, bro? One of the dumbest things I've ever seen an organization do in my life. You cannot make that make sense to me at all. There's still, I've still not heard anyone address why that team was trying to win that game. Now, obviously, athletes compete. They want to win all the time. But organizationally, there has to be a strategy here. Now, do you, what, what's, what's your Trevor Lawrence thought? Do you think he is Elway? Do you think he- I think he's going to be a top five quarterback. Love the McClemson. Real deal. Can't miss. Not overreacting to what happened against Ohio State in the semis. And don't you get the sense that Wilson now went from being like super undervalued where nobody was talking about him. And now, listen, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert and I'm watching BYU football the way I watch Clemson. I, I, fantasy, I watch college football. I'm not watching Mountain West games each and every Saturday. I'm just not. But he went from like the under the radar prospect. Now you got guys saying he's a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. I mean, well, what are we doing here? That seems nuts to me. I I will say I'm not. There was a part of me that really wanted them to trade out of two and see what they could get and hoping that they would trade with the Panthers. Because if you traded with the Panthers from two to eight, you'd get a chance to see what's on the board at eight. And if Fields is on the board, I would have jumped at Fields in a heartbeat because I loved Fields. As Every time I watched him, I felt like he had the chance to be something, I don't know about special, but uh, his, his physical skills, his ability, his speed, his arm strength seem to be all the things that modern quarterbacks need. And in the right system, I felt it could have been successful. So the, the trading Sam away and sticking at two, I'm, I'm really torn on. I really don't know if this is going to ultimately turn out to be the right decision. Now, the Jets still have a ton of picks over the next two years. I mean, they're looking at north of 10 picks in the first three Seems rounds. Seems like they actually know what they're doing in that sense, fantasy. It's uh, weird. Yes. Trust me, as a guy who roots for the Dolphins and was in a similar predicament, 
when you actually see the organization making moves where you're like, I like this. I know what they're doing. I understand what they're doing. It, it's very, very hard to comprehend, my friend. So welcome to my world a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a little bit intimidated by the Dolphins still. I think you guys have the, you know, the second best coach in the division. Like and I'm a two, I'm a two a believer as well. So I think you're in a good spot. The one thing I do like about the trade specifically is that it confirms that the quarterback will be on the same schedule with the coach. That's something that they have not been able to figure out in a while. And having Robert Sala start his journey with the new quarterback, I think is going to be a good thing for the team. Okay. You have three tortured soul franchises. I'm putting you on the spot here, buddy. That's what we do on this show. Okay, let's go. Which one does Sean Fantasy feel the best about? The Mets, the Jets, or the Knicks? This is very tough. I will say, honestly, I feel like the Knicks right now. Wow. I'm I'm surprised by that answer. Is that because of this meltdown in Philadelphia tonight? I feel like that's kind of influencing yes. your opinion a little yes. bit. Yes. <laughs> Call me tomorrow and we can Just talk. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the, the Knicks lost tonight, too, in heartbreaking fashion in another they, game they, against they the Nets that they should have won. every night, though, Fantasy. Aren't they, like, such an easy team to root for? You never Absolutely. have to wonder about effort. They're going to bring effort. They just, they're lacking talent. They don't have enough talent right now. They have one of the least talented rosters in the whole league, and they play with so much heart. They play such good defense. They're such a strong defensive team. This is the second time in three weeks that they should have beaten the Nets, and they, they just barely didn't based on a, a tough call. And I'm, I'm just blown away that Tibbs has completely lived up to the Tibbs billing. It's been really fun to watch. So weirdly, Dolan has seemingly been completely out of the picture this season. Leon Rose and Tibbs are doing what they want to do. They're installing a system. And even at the end of this game tonight, where Randall basically was in ISO to take the final shot of the game. I was like, if you just have a slightly better player on the floor that isn't say Alec Burks a year from now, think about how the floor opens up. And How's how Alonzo Ball sound, by the way? I'm all in. I'm all go. in on that. That is exactly what I want to happen. I heard you and Bill talking about this. That is exact. I think he would crush in New York and let quickly develop right alongside him. And that can be the backcourt of the future. I'm all in on that. Before we get you out of here. Rewatchables. Yeah, you've done it forever, and yeah. I have to admit, fantasy. I I pick and choose my spots. Like when I want to hear about the movie, I'm in. Like that's for me. Like the, you guys watch everything. Like I think I watch a lot of movies. I think I watch a lot of television, and then I listen to you guys, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even. I'm not even close. <laughs> I'm not even on their level. I did watch Wandavision, though, and I'm very proud of that. However, your favorite rewatchables episode that you've Ooh. ever done. That's a good question. Well, the easy answer is The Godfather. The Godfather like is, a, is a classic. It's probably one of the three or four greatest American films ever made. It's also a film that me and Chris and Bill have a lot to say to each other about. It's a good opportunity to bust our balls. It's a, it's a good opportunity for me to talk about New York. Um, so that one is a little bit obvious. I guess a, a curveball. Me, Chris and Bill did a really great episode about True Romance, which is a movie that all three of us love, too. And that's Can one of my favorite movies Can I admit this on the ever. podcast? I've never seen the movie. Oh, JJ, you I got to check it. it out then. Oh, I mean, I'll so put good. it on the bucket list. There it's, you go. It's so Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette. It was written by Quentin Tarantino. It was his first script that he sold. And it was directed by Tony Scott. You got to check it out. I'm putting that on the list. And listen, it's great that we are now buddies. You're welcome on the pod anytime. And basically send out the fantasy alarm. So okay. if we have a Met meltdown or a jet <laughs> meltdown... The Knicks this year, it's kind of house money, so I'm going to kind of reel you in no matter what. But I'll be thinking Met Jet Meltdowns, 
Sean Fantasy, get him on the line. My hotline is open to you, JJ. Congrats on the show. Good luck. Thank you so much for having me on. That's the great Sean Fantasy ringer extraordinaire. We got listener voicemails. We got a little gambling insight for the Masters. All that and more. It's New York, New York right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. It was a dud of a national championship game tonight. Baylor, 86 to 70 over Gonzaga. And here's what I failed to realize in handicapping this game. Gonzaga had absolutely no answer for Baylor on the defensive end. It was one of those games in which Suggs picked up a couple of quick fouls. Gonzaga was completely swarmed and overwhelmed by the pressure defense of Baylor. And what you ended up seeing was Baylor is a team that's used to playing these sort of games. They're in the Big 12. They're playing Okie State. They're playing Kansas. They're playing Texas. They're playing all of these teams. Gonzaga, you know what they looked like on Monday night, folks? They looked like a team that played in the West Coast Conference. That's not trying to rag on the West Coast Conference, but it is a different level of basketball. Baylor got off to the fast start. And there was never a moment in the game, even when Gonzaga cut it to 10 at halftime and they cut it to single digits once or twice in the second half, never got a sense, never got a feel that the Zags were going to bring it home. What a tease, too, from Saturday night. How do you win that game on Saturday night in the manner in which they did? All the drama, the sub shot, you're talking about it for 48 hours straight. And come out and play like that in a title game. That's ugly. And I love him as a head coach. I think he's a class act. I think he's built a powerhouse at Spokane. It is now fair to say 
Mark Few is a coach that deserves that label. I, I hate to give him that label, but he deserves that label of a coach who can't win the big one. Sooner or later, that'll change. You figure with all the talent and all the teams he keeps bringing up to Spokane, they're going to find a way to get it done. But until they do, people around the country and somebody like me is forever now going to be skeptical of Gonzaga. Sorry. I don't trust Gonzaga now to go and win NCAA tournament games and to win a title. They're an undefeated team. They got a top three pick in the draft. They have a guy in Suggs who might be the number one pick in the draft, even though I think it's going to be Cade. It's up for interpretation. People are actually talking about it. You have to bring this game home tonight. And they were overwhelmed, and they were whooped, and they were worked by Baylor. So hats off to Scott Drew. It's been a long road, long haul, building that program from 2003 on. They're one of the best teams in college basketball last year. They got their hearts broken like everybody else because of what happened with COVID. And they come back the following year and smoke everybody in this tournament and win a national championship. I'd have a very, very hard time sleeping though if I played for that Gonzaga team. Because that Saturday night game, I don't care how special it was, it means nothing to me. You lost on Monday night. What good does that moment do? If you're going to go and lose in a championship game by 14 points and get whooped in the process. Tough pill to swallow. All right, now it's time. Your passion, your fire, your energy. You got to match me, folks. That's usually the way we do things around here. And we get it rolling with our listener voicemails. I have no idea where we're headed. Hopefully, we got a couple of names and some locations. I changed the voicemail a little bit to kind of personalize things a little bit. We want to personalize things here on the podcast. So let's fire away with number one. Hey, JJ, it's Ira from Staten Island. So finally, Donald was traded. We spoke many times about it. I think it's a good move for both parties. I think Sam's in a good position. He got his fifth-year option picked up. The Jets have moved on from a quarterback who I'm, I think is middle of the road at the best. I thought Douglas, I thought second round and a fourth round for next year. He's thrown a sixth round this year. I think he got the most that he possibly could get with his market value right now. And clearly, the Jets are going for Zach Wilson. Good luck with the show. I can't wait to hear your opinion on this. Catch you later. That's the great Ira in Staten Island, who is one of my legendary callers for years. And story about Ira, I used to deliver newspapers doing the Staten Island advance on Sunday morning, listening to great Mike Francesa, freezing my ass off. And Ira would be calling the radio station from God knows where. Detroit, Miami, Buffalo, whatever. Ira is one of those OGs. We love Ira. And Ira is a thousand percent right about his take on the Jets maximizing what they couldn't return for Darnold. You weren't getting a first round pick. With the way Darnold has looked the last few years, how could you expect that? You get a sixth this year. You get a second and a fourth next year. Maybe he will figure it out in Carolina. It's possible. But if I'm the Jets, I got to think about the well-being of my franchise. I was not getting to that top of the mountain with Darnold as my quarterback. Let's hear number two. JJ, it's your boy, Matt Dodd from Stanford. I think the Jets just did themselves a favor by shipping Sam Darnold out of town. For some reason, whether it is, you know, the fame they received out in college, 
USC quarterbacks just don't work in the NFL. Carson Palmer being the exception. They just happen to be prima donnas before they even play in the National Football League. Sam, take your talent, go to Carolina. Hopefully you're able to do something with it. Here in New York, you got Mono from kissing all the pretty girls. Well, hopefully there's enough Southern Bells down there for you in, in Carolina. I hope it works out, but from what I can see, you're always going to be injury-ridden, and your attitude is just nonchalant, my friend. So good riddance to you, Joe Douglas. You made, you made, you made, you made, you made dog shit in the chicken shit. Or I can say chicken salad. So God bless you. Hey, Jets, this is your time. Go draft the Mormon and let's go. Our buddy Matt in Stanford fired up yet again. He's two for two. Um, it's amazing. Donald's forever legacy with the Jets. I brought up the ghost game on Monday night against the New England Patriots. Matty hit on the other point. Getting Mono in his second year. Who knows how it happened? It was a bummer. But he ended up missing like five or six games that year. Brutality. There were high hopes for Sam Darnold. Make no mistake. Jet fans thought they were getting their savior. You heard it from fantasy. Most Jet fans would make that point here. They thought they were getting their guy who's going to be the quarterback for the next 15 years. You better hope Zach Wilson coming out of BYU. He's going to have a much different script than Sam Darnold. And yeah, the USC quarterbacks, with the exception of Carson Palmer, they have been a bitter disappointment. I mean, you think about Leinert, stiff. You think about Sanchez, had some success his first two years, didn't really pan out. Booty never ended up being a quarterback who was any good. I mean, the USC quarterback, yeah, they... They've been uh, crapping out far too often. Let's see what's next. John, I just finished watching the the disgraceful Mets opening night. I mean, here's the thing about the whole game. Luis Rojas has got to go. His admirable admirable job last year. Listen, he literally said before the game he could throw 100 goddamn pitches, and he pulls him out at the 77. Don Smith not being pinch hit or pinch hitting for prolonged for uh, fourth inning. What's going on? J.D. Davis has lost at third base. No pop-up is easy. And what is this Pilar batting leadoff and Neil batting six crap? The hell is going on here? Get Luis Ross out of uh, New York, please. Goodbye. Whole lot of fire and passion on the Met manager one game into the year. Now, look, I have no idea if Luis Rojas can manage. I have no idea. He just went through a 60-game Fugazi baseball season that was unlike any other baseball season that we've seen. Did he have a good opener? No. I'm not yanking DeGrom after 77 pitches. I'm sorry, not after six innings. No way, no how. Number two, why is Dominic Smith not in the opening day lineup? I have no idea. You want to get on him for not sending him up in the fourth inning? You could do that too. That's down the list for me as far as the critiques go. You got to know by the end of this year if you got a guy that you can trust making the right calls and making the right decisions. And I know so much of baseball now is tied into the front offices and them having say and them expressing their opinions and whatnot. You can do that to a certain point, but guess what? Your manager in games, got to make some calls. I got to learn more about Louis Rojas. 
All right, boys, what's next? Hey, John, congrats on the show. This is Brian. Look, I'm from Jersey, okay? We're going to talk basketball today. And, and New York, yes, Nets fans exist, and we're just as freaking diehard about our team. Now, I lived through 12 and 70, okay? Now, I just want to pose something for you. I understand the Knicks are getting better, right? And the Nets are the Nets right now. They're really going for it with this window. 20 years down the line, let's say the Nets get one chip right now around this time. One chip. 20 years down the line, unlikely, but it's feasible to say that maybe the Knicks don't ever figure it out. And they still are titleless, let's say. And I don't think that's a word. In 20 years, okay? What's the legacy like in New York? I understand it's New York's town, right? But what's the talk going to be in 20 years if the Knicks still haven't won and the Nets Maybe they, you know, become obsolete again or, or they have playoff runs, whatever, in the next 20 years. But they have that one chip riding. Tell me about what you think that could do for, uh, you know, the fan bases in New York uh, in general. And just talk a little bit about, you know, this Nets team. Um, it's really what I want to hear right now because uh, Nets Nation, we're here. And we're going to be at the parade uh, when it happens. All right. Thanks, John. You guys are looking forward to that parade. I know, down Atlantic Avenue, down Flatbush Avenue. Maybe they'll bring some L&B in the process while they're at it. Maybe they'll cater Peter Lugers, for all we know. Appreciate the call, Brian. Look, it will forever be a New York Knicks town. It doesn't matter if the Nets go and win five consecutive championships. It is a Knicks town. Because the Knicks are ingrained in so many folks that are living across the five boroughs, in Westchester County, in Connecticut, in New Jersey. It is a Nick town. So I think 20 years from now, it will continue to be a Nick town. If I'm a Net fan, I'll gladly sign for one. That might be selling them short. Who knows? You don't know how things work out in the NBA. After all, look at Durant, Westbrook, and Harden in Oklahoma City. Did that look like a team that was never going to win a championship? Never know. You get one, you take one. But the dynamic in this town is never going to change. What's next? Hey, JJ, it's uh, Josh in Manhattan. First time, long time. I need to hear what's your best Mike Francesa story. Um, And then after that, actual football question. Now that Darnold's out, who do you think the Jets should take? Should it be Wilson? Should it be Fields? Who do you want? Thank you. Bye. Appreciate it, Josh. Um, I will start with the Jets, and I will get to Francesa. It's Wilson. Um, Because the NFL is a copycat league. And I think you're going to see teams, specifically the Jets, look at Buffalo and what Josh Allen was able to do. Look at Justin Herbert and what he was able to do. And they will want that sort of prototype quarterback. My sense is Wilson is that prototype. I would be surprised if they audible off of that. Now, my best Francesa story that I can share on the air, it's got to be when I actually went to Mike's house. So back in the days when I was doing his college football show on the Mike's On app, I had to drive out to the lovely compound. I'm like wondering what to do. Do you, do you ring the bell? Do you text him? Do you, do you knock on the back door saying, hey, Mike, I got to come in? He's got, he's got one of the most beautiful houses I've ever seen in my life. So he's got good taste. I'll give him that. And then I come in and I'm setting up and I'm like, man, holy shit. And I'm doing a show in the basement of the Mike Francesa compound. So I could give you some more one-on-one intimate stories between me and Mike. Some of them I'm not going to share on the air. 
I'm saving them for the book, to be honest with you. And I write that like in 30 or 40 years. But yeah, doing shows from the compound out in Long Island. Pretty wild. All right, what's next? Hey, JJ, it's Sammy and Cleo in Yorkville. We just wanted to know, do you think the Jets should draft Pene Alavatka, Pene Sewell? And then instead of drafting the quarterback, I was thinking you go get Teddy Bridgewater. He knows the market. He's been here before. And I don't believe in this Mormon Mahomes. Oh, what God, that's you, awful. Rinner? That's awful. That is absolutely awful. No, 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 no. With Teddy Bridgewater, he was just here a couple of years ago. No. You need a young quarterback to win. It's as simple as that. They just said goodbye to Sam Darnold. They need a quarterback. We'll see if Wilson can play. You can watch highlight tapes till the cows come home. Sometimes you just don't know until you see him on an NFL field. He's got the body type you like. He's got the arm strength you like. Can he handle New York? Does he have the right makeup and the right mindset? Remains to be seen. Teddy Bridgewater, though, is one idiotic idea. What's next? JJ, what's going on, man? This is Billy from Jersey. Um, Big Jet fan here. And just a thought, I think the Jets made the absolute right move in important ways with Darnold. I think Zach Wilson has all the makings of a stud and the star, and I think we actually have the right regime to lead him the way. And just a quick question. Have you ever seen or heard of a New York athlete who got zero blame? I love Sam as a man and as a human being, but I felt like all the so-called analysts and stuff Gave him zero blame on his shortcomings as a quarterback. All right, man, have a good one. You know, it's interesting. Do I think there was a sentiment of media types, not only here in New York City, but media types across the NFL that were kind of Sam Darnold apologists? Yeah, I do. And for a while, I kind of put myself in that camp because of the situation that he's been in. Coaching changes, the debacle of Adam Gaze. Look around that team last year. Playmakers stink. What hurts Sam Darnold, though, is that his decision-making didn't get better. And that he did not get better. In fact, he got worse as time went on. To the point where they put Joe Flacco in a couple of games last year. And the offense looked better with Joe Flacco than Sam Donald. Again, he might be salvageable. There is ability. That ability was never going to fit here with the new change in regime for the Jets. That ship, as we love to say, has a sailed. What's next? Hey, JJ. This is uh, Kevin from North Brunswick. I never actually called you when you were on the fan, but I'm happy to get a chance to talk to you now. Uh, overall, just an annoyed Jets fan that we never get this right. But you can only wish Sammy the best of luck. I uh, guess his favorite target back in Robbie Anderson. He's in a different conference, so we can still kind of pull for him. And the Jets got a nice little haul back. Uh, me and Joe D to hit on these picks. And for the love of God, can we actually talk in three years from now and not talk about drafting another fucking quarterback? All right, JJ, good luck. Kevin, I feel that pain, bro. I feel that pain because you're sick of the routine every three or four years when you're a bad NFL franchise of turning the page on a quarterback. They whiffed on Sam Donald. Some of it's the player's fault. 
Some of it's the organization's fault, but they whiffed. It's time to move on. Hitting on these picks, though, is going to determine where the Jets go over the next couple of years. They got a boatload of picks. Got to get them right. What's next? Hey, JJ, this is Brian. Longtime listener, big fan, diehard Mets fan, disgusted Mets fan. It didn't take long for the same old crap to rear its ugly head. You got Jacob DeGrom at 77 pitches. He's pitching fantastic. Luis Rojas had already said that he was probably looking at 100 pitches. But what does he do? He takes him out after only six innings after he's absolutely dominating. So you're expecting the bullpen to get nine outs in that band box up there in Citizens Bank ballpark. And, of course, we know how that's probably going to go. It was an unmitigated disaster. The offense sucked. And I know it's easy to go, well, it's just the first game of the year. you still got 161 of them. Bullshit! Every time Jacob pitches, this crap happens. Bases loaded one out. Pilar hits a double play. Base loaded two out. Conforto grounds out. First and second one out. They can't score. It's the same old, same old nonsense. Same old bullshit every time Jacob pitches. This dude's going to probably go to the Hall of Fame with less than 100 wins. It's absolutely pathetic. Ugh. Love your show. I love that passion right there. That's the sort of passion I need after a loss. Because, listen, you're at a bar. You ain't keeping a PG after a loss. You might be throwing your can of beer. You're going to be dropping some profanity. That's what I expect to hear now on New York, New York moving forward. And oh, let's call a hit on it. Since 2018, 36 and 41 in Jacob deGrom starts when it's been clear and obvious that he's the best damn pitcher in all baseball. That's my problem with this loss. That narrative continues to be the case. And if the Mets are going to be a viable championship contender, you've got to win when your best pitcher is on the mound. Two more. Second to last. What do we got? JJ, tough loss tonight for the Knicks. They were controlling most of that game. Couldn't really score the last six minutes. But I just wanted to call in and say, even though the Nets, Record-wise, maybe the better team in New York. The Knicks are always going to be New York's team. The Barclays Center was rocking for the Knicks tonight. And I just want to say this about the Nets. How unlikable are the Brooklyn Nets? Kyrie Irving takes personal days, then comes back and plays whenever he wants. Kevin Durant was too soft to come back and play against the physical Knicks defense tonight, according to the Nets. How unlikable is this team? New York Knicks forever, baby. Listen, I agree with your first take with the idea that it's going to be a Nick town. Um, and the Nets do have some unlikable guys on the team. Now they're tremendous talents. What Harden did in Houston is an absolute embarrassment. Now, since he's come to Brooklyn, he's lost about 40 pounds. He stopped eating the cheese doodles and he's played MVP caliber basketball. Now I refuse to give him the award because to me, you can't pull that sort of bullshit. And that's exactly what it was in Houston. Now it was like George Costanza. When George Costanza was trying to get fired by the Yankees, remember he like attaches the uh, the trophy to his car and he's driving around the parking lot of Yankee Stadium? That's basically what James Harden did trying to get out of Houston. So I guess from that standpoint, it worked out. Does it sit well with me? Absolutely not. Irving, who dropped 40 tonight, by the way, on the Knickerbockers and can get offense and can get buckets whenever 
the hell he wants. His nonsense of basically saying, I'm going to play when I want to play, taking personal days, doing this, doing that, making $40 million a year. Do I find that incredibly likable? No. And Durant, listen, Durant is one of the three best players in the league when he plays. Does Durant's, you know, sort of whiny act on Twitter, the burner accounts become incredibly tough to take for me? Yes. I will be rooting against the Nets this year. I hope they go deep into the playoffs, but I will absolutely be rooting against them. It's more fun that way. Last but not least, who's on the horn? JJ, this is Daniel Newark. And all I got to say is, what is the problem with Justin Fields? Why is Justin Fields on the back burner right now? Why are we infatuated with Zach Wilson? I love Justin Fields. Justin Fields is taller Kyler Murray. Why doesn't anybody see that? That's all I got to say. Appreciate the call. I don't see it because to me, Kyler Murray was a far more electrifying player at Oklahoma than Justin Fields was at Ohio State. You want to tell me about Justin Fields' great national semifinal performance game? You're right on that. He lit up Clemson. He made some big boy throws. I thought he was underwhelming against Alabama. And then if you go and watch him in the Big Ten, terrible game against Northwestern in the championship game and a terrible game against Indiana. The good defenses he played, I was like very unimpressed. Now, with these quarterbacks, sometimes you really don't know until you see him on the NFL field. And I know that sounds like such a cop-out answer, but it's true. Herbert. Herbert last year was a stud for the Chargers. He didn't come close to looking like that when he was the Oregon Duck quarterback. So in many cases, it's about system, playmakers, are you going to translate at the next level? I would not be betting on Justin Fields being a big-time NFL quarterback. If I had to make that wager right now, is it one I'd feel good about? No way. When we come back, we will have odds for this year's Masters tournament with the great Harry Gagnon, and I'm still drowning in my sorrows from what happened with Gonzaga. All that more. It's New York, New York, right here. Ringer Podcast Network. Folks, we're back for the grand finale here of a New York, New York, where I can drown away my sorrows, maybe, after a Gonzaga beatdown, where Baylor wins the national championship. And I welcome in a guy who I got linked up with, with the great cousin Sal and all those crazies with the degenerate trifecta. And now I'm over here at the ringer, and he's a part of the family. The great Harry Gagnon, extra points, uh, uh, against all odds, you got like 10 zillion shows, bro. How we doing? Hey, it's what's up, JJ? Oh, thanks for having me on. Love being back at the ringer. Oh, this is awesome. Thanks, pal. All good. It's good having you back, man. I wish I was in a little bit better spirits after that Gonzaga beatdown, but, uh, you know, Baylor came out guns a blazing. They smoked them. They looked like Harry. There was no way for Gonzaga to slow down Baylor in any way. And you could see it like seven, eight minutes into the game. Suggs picks up the second foul. Mm -hmm. You never really bought in that Gonzaga, like after that terrible early start, had a legitimate chance to win. No, not at all. I mean, it was something else. I mean, this, this, uh, this Baylor team has been doing it pretty much all season. Went through a little bit at the end of the season where they weren't, weren't, weren't looking so hot. But boy, they were great in this tournament. They held their opponents to 60 points per game. 
Um, and they did it in the first half all the time, JJ. Uh, they held, you know, jumped off to an early start against Arkansas, was fifteen up 15-3 to three right off the bat, held Houston to just 20 points in the first half, and the Zags tonight just one of 16, uh, one of six shooting in the first half uh, in, when it came to three-pointers. Baylor was 6-10, 25% from uh, three-point range from uh, the whole entire game from Gonzaga, just never really in it. And uh, it's, again, their stifling defense and their ability to get out early. Harry, how did this tournament in general, my friend, treat you? Did it treat you well? Uh, yeah, it did okay. I did really well. I did. Uh, the Q's, did good, listen, you know? the Q's helped both of us, bro. They helped both of us. You know, they helped both nice. of us tremendously. That was a great job by Jimmy B. Great job by uh, Buddy Beheim, uh to get it done when uh, during the first few games he was fantastic. We know that's um, player that's player of the tournament for the first uh, two rounds, um, but still Baylor, fantastic job. And I think more than anything. That UCLA game the other day on Saturday, I had UCLA, I had the over, nice double hit there. And I think with that game, the way it was, really opened it up for Baylor, thinking that we really can, if UCLA can do this, we can do this too. And they just went from the very beginning, and they were awesome. Butler, Teague, Mitchell, they were fantastic. All three of them had a tremendous game. We now transition, my friend, from the NCAA tournament to one of your favorite events of the year. And this is how, in many ways, I got introduced to Harry. Because <laughs> Harry loves betting golf. And I got to be honest, I picked up a few tips from Harry over the years. And now I find myself in these major tournaments loving the idea of betting the Masters. So, Harry, for anybody who's listening, mm. who's not like a gambling, you know, junkie like you and I, Correct. What would be your biggest advice to the casual golf guy who wants to watch the major, mm -hmm. wants to get involved, masters, give me a guy, give me somebody to root for. Right. What is the best like general handicapping strategy, handicapping golf for dummies that you can share <laughs> with the audience? I would say more than anything, especially, you know, today at this course at Augusta, probably if you want to take a guy or two, take guys who are familiar with this course, who have played it before, and finish well. Uh, you know, if you take a guy just right off the bat that ha that may be hot but's never played here and tanks, you'll be one, you'll be like, oh, I shouldn't have taken him. But a guy who's played here, you know, over and over and over and does well here, just fits him, fits the course well, that's what you might want to do. Someone like a Justin Thomas, I'm looking at him really, JJ, to win it here. Uh, 11 to one. He wanted the players. Uh, he's played here five times. He's improved his game every single time. Justin Thomas has playing at Augusta. He finished 39th, 22nd, 17th, 12th. And, and in November, he finished in fourth. So Justin Thomas, definitely a guy like 11 to one, someone to look out for. Does it scare you at all, though, Harry, that he won the players? I think the last guy to win the players and the Masters got to all, go all the way back to Tiger Woods. Been a long, long time coming. That's that's true. But, boy, you know, he just plays so – when he's hot, there's almost nobody better when he's red hot. And I think this is a situation where not having a green jacket yet, he will be in the mix come Sunday. You buy in this renaissance and this resurgence – from one Jordan Spieth, he won the tournament last week. <laughs> Harry, I am one of these guys. If you win a tournament the week before, I'm out on you because it's too hard to win on the PGA Tour back-to-back -back weekends. These guys are too good, bro. They're too good. 
you know, he finished 46 last year. He's won it here. He's he's dropped all the way down to like 53rd ranked in the world, but he has been playing really well. I think he's got five out of six of last tournaments, JJ, where he's finished in the top 15. Uh, again, like you mentioned, he went one in his home state last week uh, at the Valero Texo, Texas Open. But I'll tell you what, and everyone's going to be on him. He's going to be the darling pick right now because of the way he's been playing and winning this past week, and he's won uh, at Augusta before. But you can get plus 500 on Jordan Spieth not to make the player, not to make the cut. And I'll Ooh, tell you what, okay. that is worth a shot there because anything, he still can. Listen, again, he's been playing well, but before that, before the past like month and a half, he was making double bo- double bogeys all over the place, bad second shots, causing trouble for himself, forcing bogeys. So it could happen on 13, on 15 that are par fives. Uh, he may get into a lot of trouble with second shots. I, I just feel that at plus 500, it's worth a shot to take him not to make the cut. I'm thinking about two particular plays. I'm thinking about Patty Reed, who has mm-hmm. had success on his course. I'm mm-hmm. seeing him at 25 to 1. Another one I like, Harry, and I like the idea that he's kind of fueling off the negativity. Kepka. What is the better mm-hmm. bet? Do I go Kepka? Do I go Patty Reed? One of those two is going to be my pick. We'll see if Harry can sway my opinion in any way. Well, look, Pat, Pat, Patty Reed, like a lot of people don't like him, so that's why he can find can get decent well, odds on him. I don't care if him. he's a jerk, Harry. If he wins and he <laughs> cashes, he can be as big a jerk as possible. Just win, baby. And he's won this year already. He's one of the players. I think he's got seven top tens this year already. He's been fantastic. I mean, I take think taking a shot with Patty is worth a shot, but also Brooks at what do you say? I see 28 to one. Uh down major to 25 seen down, it down to 25, 25 yeah. to one. So you're getting it, some juice on Brooks. It, it's major time. Uh you can always count on him to be around the leaderboard. And he's in his last two events. Kepka has a win and he's tied for second. Hasn't played since the WGC Workday Championship. So it's been a few weeks since he hasn't played, resting that knee. But I'll tell you what, last two tournaments, he won second. It's pretty good when you got Kepka at over 20 to 1. Final one. We know you like JT to win this tournament. We know you're going to be diving in, betting everything in sight. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite other side beak to throw in, Harry? You know we're looking for those side beaks whenever I, I, we can. What do you got <laughs> for me, brother? How about this one? Top South African at plus th- 270. You can get Dylan Fratelli. Now, look, he's going up against Louis O'Sazen, Christian Besenhout, uh, and uh, Charles Schwartzel. But at plus 270, Dylan Fratelli, he is also... Tied for fifth in the Masters in November. So look out for this guy. I think he's also, he he, he reached the uh, knockout stage of the WGC match play. But like I said, tied for fifth in November, JJ, in the Masters. So Dylan Fertelli, Fertelli plus 270, top South African. You like that one? Look at you. <laughs> That's how you come out with a bang on the second New York, New York podcast, Harry. Listen. Love it, man. You've been with me every step of the way, man, the last few years. Nothing's changing now, bro. You're part of the family. <laughs> I know. Listen, I would love to Congrats be for the honorary. move, too, buddy. Congrats well, for the move. You, you deserve right? it, Listen, man. Save, save me the pleasantries. I don't need them. <laughs> what I need, though, is I got to be an honorary member of the degenerate trifecta at one point. That's what uh, I need. We'll get you on. We're going to get you on. I'll talk to Sal later tonight. We're going to get you on, pal. We love you, man. Harry, all the love, bro. Good stuff, all right? Take care, pal.
That's Harry Gagnon, who likes Justin Thomas to win this year's Masters tournament. If I'm giving you two plays, I'm looking at Kepka and I'm looking at Patty Reed, both at 25 to 1. I will probably take a stab, play both. I'll play them in the top five. I'll play them in the top 10. But I like the idea of motivation and being the bad guy and going to win the tournament. I'm taking Kepka. I think he gets it done. What an addition of New York, New York. Oh, my goodness. This was loaded. Great work by the guys across the way. Harry Gagnon, Sean Fennessy. Your calls were absolutely terrific. We'll be back Thursday night. The former GM of the New York Jets, ESPN superstar Mike Tannenbaum will join us. We'll have some insight on what the Jets and the Giants will be looking to do come draft day. Uh, We'll have all the basketball reaction, the baseball reaction, and this busy week rolls on. And folks, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show. We are taking your calls every edition of New York, New York at 917-382-1151. And all you got to do, leave your name, where you're from, quick message, and we'll get to you. I Trust me on that. We will get to you. I promise. JJ is signing off. Be good, everybody. <laughs>